Greetings, adventure. Welcome to the D20 Academy podcast. I'm Shiloh. And I'm Gabriel. And this week is episode 53, our first part of the review of Mythic Odysseys of Theros. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to Theros. So you think you can dance. (laughs) Welcome to You Think You Can Dance in Theros. So... Before we get into this, I'll just give you a brief idea of what this book is going to be about, what we're going to be talking about in this this, uh, first part here, and what to look forward to. Alright, so, The Mythic Odysseys of Theros is a new uh, setting, and it's it's a new setting book, just like the one we last reviewed, The Explorer's Guide to Wildbound. It includes a whole new world, new pantheon, new character options, new monsters... New places to go, new magic items, all sorts of different things. And to briefly describe what Theros is, it is like Greco-Roman inspired. Yeah. It takes a lot of things, changes a lot of things, but you can get the general gist of it by just, by just thinking like, okay, my typical Greco-Roman fantasy. Yep. Um, all right. Actually, Theros is a plane from Magic the Gathering. Yes. Um. I am a big Magic the Gathering uh, person. I love that game. I've played it for many years. Spent way too much money on it. Um, <laughs> Theros uh, has, personally, it's, I haven't played a lot of uh, sets uh, in Theros during during my time, because I've, I've been in the game on and off. Um, and Theros has never really stood out to me or has never been around my time. Um, but I love Greco-Roman uh, mythology and all that kind of stuff. I love Percy Jackson as a middle schooler. Um, I love Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, all that kind of stuff, and I, I, it's, it's really, really interesting to me. Uh, it's probably my second favorite ancient culture, uh, second only to Egyptian, because uh, Egyptian is the best. Um, but yeah, I love Magic the Gathering, and I love the art, and I love the world building and the stories that they tell in that game. So I'm hoping that that transfers over very nicely into D&D. Um, uh, I have not. I've yet to go through this book at all. Gabe has gone through, like, skimmed through it, so he 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 has an idea of what this is. But this is gonna be this is gonna be all my first reactions to everything in this book. All right, it is very interesting. Let me just say that I love this book so much. It is probably like my favorite official setting. Wow. That I've looked into. Wow. It is. I'm just I'm just a big fan, like Greco Roman fantasy, yeah, and, like mythology and things like that. Yeah, but I really love the things that this book does. All right, let's All right. get into it. Yeah, let's get into it real quick. <laughs> hey, Instagram at d20 underscore academy. We have a Discord. Oh, DM yeah, us on Instagram is, for that. Yeah, we have a YouTube, uh-huh. which is just called D20 Academy. Uh, we have an actual play series that we're doing called Unwelcome Spirits. By the time you listen to this podcast episode, maybe there's two or three sessions out. I don't know. If you haven't already listened to it, go listen to it. It's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> Alright, the book starts off with a chapter zero, essentially. It's just a welcome to Theros. In this chapter, it describes how Theros came into being, uh, the different mysteries and myths, and it describes a little bit of how the world works. Yeah. To summarize, there's a lot of reading here. I'm not going to get into it all, obviously. But it talks about how champions are born, how the world is born how gods work. One thing to highlight here um, is that 
lays out this idea that in Theros, uh, history becomes myth and legend faster than it does in other places at an accelerated rate. And it has a tendency to, you know, as it turns into legend, you know, certain figures in the past like sort of combine together in sort of archetypes, you know? Yeah. Where, like, it'll, in this, like, version of, like, the Odyssey and, like, the Iliad and things like that, or actual books in the world, like, the Iliad, I think it's called, or whatever. Um, it talks about this character called the Champion. And while it might seem like it's a, just, like, a one person, it's actually, like, an accumulation of several different people over ages, you know, years and years and years, combined into one, and to amalgamation of all those stories so that's kind of like the idea of like how history and legend works in theros like a lot of things get joined together and uh mixed together in legend very quickly people like turn into legend and history turns into myth very fast and so a lot of things are like immediately like after it happens people are automatically like making like you know stories and things and tales about it tales about these people and well, it does seem like kind of like weird at first. Like, seriously, like it says like, where, most times like legend happens in like a hundred years. Here, it might happen like ten years. You know, something might be like turned into a legend with just in, like years of it happening. Even if it's in recent memory, it's already you know mystified. Yeah. Exaggerated. Then it talks about languages. Whatever. Not really important. Yeah. Just like uh, some different languages are aren't on this world and others are more exotic than others yeah typical stuff yeah so this is the only this introduction little part here is the only part that i've actually read through um but there's a couple things i want to say which are really cool um one just going back to the archetypes uh that's just really cool because that's actually like that's kind of like realistic of like how a history could work in like a high fantasy world like this because there's like the protector the hunter the vanquisher the slayer the whatever these are just like archetypal heroes in legend and, like, multiple figures in history have uh, manifested this archetype, but it's all kind of conjoined together into one character um, of sorts, mm-hmm. which is really cool. That's, like, just, that's really interesting to me. Also, um, the, basically, Faith is, um, oh, like, yeah, I very, very powerful. So, like, belief and group belief creates um, actual you know, so, like, if, if a bunch of people believe in a god, that god will then come to life. And they'll be as powerful... Yeah, that's how, like, the pantheon of this Yes. Which I would like to say, they copied for me, my world <laughs> that I made for that campaign we played for, like, two and a half years, our first D&D campaign. That's how it worked in that world as well. And I would like to say they totally copied me, because Theros, the first Theros you should, you should set... You them. Yeah, this, this first uh, Theros set, the magic set, came out in 2013, and I did my campaign in, like, 2017. So... Um, they totally copied me there. Um, and then it also, uh, goes over a brief, uh, description of each chapter. So I guess we should probably do that real quick because we're only doing the first three chapters here. Um, so you want to just go over what, uh, briefly what each chapter, uh, details. Chapter one covers the heroes of Theros, the races, class options, backgrounds you need to make an adventure. It also introduces this idea of supernatural gifts available to starting characters. Uh, it features like a set of Theros adventures apart it, like sets them apart from normal like adventurers. It really makes them yeah. heroes. They just character create all character creation info is in chapter one. Yes, uh, chapter two introduces like the gods of Theros, how they work, their personalities, and it also introduces this 
uh, idea called uh, piety, which is something that characters can gain and use and grant them certain things. Yeah, already, once again, haven't read through this book, have never looked at that chapter. That sounds amazing. <laughs> like piety, right. like renown points, like that's sick. Chapter three, uh, it then takes a very large portion of the book and talks about the mortal world, the places that the, play the players are going to be traveling in, living in, adventuring in, and details of how adventures might work in those different areas, whether it be on land or in sea. So like a gazetteer. Yeah, a gazetteer. Or chapter three. Yeah. Okay, chapter four right. is like just adventures and how to build adventures and stuff. Uh, in uh, this thing, chapter five is treasures and um, magical items and stuff like that. And chapter six is uh, monsters and uh, stat blocks and, and things. Mm -hmm. All of which I'm very excited oh for. Oh my goodness, I cannot wait to get them too. Yeah, I'm excited for all of this. This is really exciting. Okay, <laughs> so that's the introduction. Let's pop over. Oh, also, I forgot to mention the best part about the introduction is it begins with a beautiful art piece by Seb McKinnon, my favorite artist in the world. Um, if you've never heard of Seb McKinnon, look up his work. He's amazing. He's been my phone and computer wallpaper multiple times throughout time. Okay. Character creation. This is the first time I'm looking at this. Once again, dope art. As we know, it's That's Magic the Gathering. Just, yeah. It's a theme throughout this book. Like, oh, that, that art piece is nice. Ooh, that one's nice. Ooh, that one's nice. <laughs> That's one of the things that this book definitely got right. Alright, character creation. First thing that this talks about is heroic drive. It's this idea that heroes and theros are driven and destined and made heroes, and they stand apart from other adventurers. So much so that like all of their ideals bonds and flaws are often exaggerated yeah so just make yeah. your character more dramatic basically make your bonds more crazy your ideals more crazy and of course your flaws because you know what's better than being an orphan and having both your parents die as a D, &D character having every single person in your family die in your backstory so um there no, you Austin go saying something like oh like feeling intense obligation to always protect your family no, that's not tragic. So that's not that's, that's not tragic or dramatic enough. <laughs> okay, supernatural gifts. What the heck is this, Gabe? Explain. Your family members died. There we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right, explain these things to, to, to us. Supernatural gifts. What are to these? You and the audience. All right, supernatural gifts. This is where the book gets interesting. Every character, at the start of the campaign, when they're making their characters at level one or whatever level, they choose a supernatural gift. This can be supplemented for a feat from the book, from the player's handbook, but that's just boring, all right? These supernatural gifts are way more interesting. And how to describe them is that they're, they aren't like part of your class, race, background, or, or whatever. It's just a defining characteristic about your character. Um, I would like to say something. This is really cool and makes sense. Because in D&D, you're a regular person, but really good somehow and <laughs> good at not dying somehow but in this world in this very mythological high fantasy world it's like some people just are literally just like superheroes and have superhuman yeah. abilities right champions and heroes of, of legend and stuff and that's what you are so that's why you get to be really dope 
and like supernaturally strong or fast or what or smart because um because that's what you are as a D and D character, right? <laughs> that makes it more like it fits better, in my opinion. Then in D and D, it's like a twentieth yeah. level. You're still a human, but somehow you can get eaten and swallowed by a, a dragon, but still survive. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. So I like, I like the explanation that these are like supernatural gifts that every one of these heroes have. You know, whether you know what the supernatural gift doesn't really matter. It is something that all the heroes have, you know, that sets them apart from normal, everyday folk. Yeah. All right. Let's get into them. I'm excited. I really like this part of the book. All right. First one off. There's nine of them. Uh, Anvil Rot, Heroic Destiny, Iron Class, Inscrutable, Lifelong Companion, Nyxborn, Oracle, Pious, and Unscarred. All right? Okay. I've already forgotten half of those at least. All right. Anvil Rot. I don't even remember one, but let's go. <laughs> Anvil Rot's. Now, this might be a little bit confusing to thinking, oh, after I get into it, is this a uh, Warforged? No, it's not. It is not your race. It is just something. You can still be any of the races. Essentially, an Anvil Rot is a being forged in the fires of Perforos? Perforos. Perforos? Perforos. Perforos, yes. yeah. Forge. He is, you know, the god of the forge and things like that in this world. So you... Like, Hephaestus, basically. You're to be metallic, and you're just like a forged being. However, you don't have to be an iron forged to play this, a war forged to play this. You can be any one of the races in this world, but you're just like made out of metal. Yeah, but let's be honest, you're going to play a war forged, so. War forged aren't, aren't in this world. No, I know. But I mean, you can make it. Yeah. You can do whatever you want, really. Alright. So, you got a couple of things that are, you know, pretty. Feberon. That's how you do it, if you mix them. And you pl- if you play Theberon? if your world is Theberon, it's Theros and Eberron, then you can play a Warforged. And uh, okay, okay, continue. Cool. So yeah, Anvilrot, you get the typical things you think of when you're a machine. So you have advantages on saving throws against being poisoned. You have resistance to poison damage. You don't need to eat, drink, breathe. You're immune to disease. You don't need to sleep. Can't be put to sleep. And you have- each one of these uh, supernatural gifts gets at least like one little. Like benefit, a little bonus thing here, like an ability or some of this sort of thing. So, Anvil Rots get Sentry's Rest, which basically you to take a long rest, you don't need to spend eight hours of sleep. You, you spend six hours in inactive motion of state. However, you're still like aware of the things around you, so you can act as a sentry. Hence, Sentry's Rest. Yep. Yeah. And that's then, either super the- useful or not useful at all, depending on your DM. <laughs> yeah. So, like, this is one of the ones, like, oh, it's, like, pretty basic, you know, I get this. This is basically just, like, racial feats, racial stuff from the Warforged. Yeah. The other ones are more interesting. Uh, I like that at the end of every one of these descriptions of these were, uh, supernatural gifts, sorry, it gives, like, a random table of characteristics about, like, how you might have gotten this gift or the nature of your gift, things like that. Like, oh, was an anvil rot made for specific perfect for purpose? Was it an accident? Was... You know, it a mistake, something like that. You know, there's a bunch of different options here. Just add little characteristics to your supernatural gift. Sorry, I'm talking way too fast. Okay, what's Heroic My Destiny? Apologies. Oh, that's the next one. Yes, Heroic Destiny is the next one. Okay. Great deeds lie in your future, and it will take extraordinary effort to kill you before you accomplish those deeds. Basically, you are hard to kill. <laughs> cool. So like that's essentially a supernatural gift. A barbarian. Mm-hmm. 
a barbarian paladin druid, basically. <laughs> Screw that thing. Sorry. We definitely need to make that. So, you get advantage on death saving throws, which is a cool thing that I think only monks get, as far as I know. Uh, yeah, cool. I don't know. I don't think that's in any core ability. No, it's in monks. You get advantage on all saving throws. Oh. Oh, no, you, you get proficient. Is it proficient? I don't know. I don't know. familiar with the monk. Yeah, so uh, you vanish on saving death, saving throws, and whenever you reduce zero hit points, you get like, kind of the, uh, the half-orc thing where you can drop the one hit point instead, and this is an ability you can use on for a long rest. But there's no half-orcs in this world, right? Because otherwise that would be crazy. No. You get that twice every combat? <laughs> no, no, no. No half-orcs. No half-orcs. But believe me when I say that there's even more crazy. There's a crazy race here. We'll get into the raider. Okay, okay. Well, like, then, then, because this one's called heroic destiny. Then there's like a table on what your destiny is. If it's to become a god yeah. or to uncover a secret or whatever. And then, dope ass art. There's like a Amazonian warrior here. I don't know. She looks sick. She's like treads. Oh, dang. Lit. Okay. <laughs> Icono clash. Icono. Let's see if that's an actual word. Iconic class. No one can deny the reality of the gods of Theros, hey, whose yeah, presence yeah. and deeds are visible. Iconoclast. Iconoclast. Yeah. Mm, it's an actual word. It means a person who attacks, cherished beliefs, or institutions. Which, in this world, is someone who denies the gods' right to be worshipped. That's sick. They the gods don't believe to be, don't, shouldn't be worshipped, and they are... They don't, like, deny that the gods exist, because the gods are very, like, present in the world, but they just don't believe that they are worthy of reverence. Okay, that's super cool. That's, like, really rebel. Okay. because yes, uh, in this world, like, pretty much, like, everyone, yeah. except for, like, these people, like, almost all societies and all races, like, revere, like, all the gods, pretty much all the gods, and, like, specifically like, this one, but they, like, you know, worship, like, so many of them. Yeah. So it really is a departure from the normal. Yeah, it's like it's, it's just like uh, you know Greco-Roman mythology, how like everyone like mm -hmm. pours out libations for the gods or whatever in certain aspects. Like if they want help in this particular area of life, they'll like make a sacrifice for Demeter or whatever. Yeah. Okay, I want to go through this one. Enlightened protection. Right. You can cast protection from evil and good with this trait, targeting only yourself and requiring no material components. And then you regain long, long rest. You use wisdom for your spellcasting ability. Reject the gods. You can't gain or lose piety to any god. That's the uh, renown system, right? Yes. You yes. instead, because I'm sure piety is a good thing, so instead of, because mm -hmm. now that you lose that bonus, gain the following traits at the character level listed in each one. And wisdom, 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 wisdom is your spellcasting ability. Wisdom. For any spell. Okay. So at 5th level, you can cast a spell magic. At 11th, dispel evil and good. Um... And then whenever you... Oh, then that upgrades the level of the Dispel Magic that you got at 5th level. Mm -hmm. 17th, Anti-Magic Field, and upgrades Dispel Magic uh, as well. Okay, cool. So, like, just screw magic, you know? Yeah. That's cool, though. I really it's like... Very, like, like, screw your god. Yeah. I'm already inspired. I totally want to mm -hmm. build in a, on a clash. <clears throat> and, like, all the characteristics are all, like, so rebel. Like, I blame the gods for the death of those I cared about. I refuse to get caught in divine, uh, pawn in divine schemes. Yeah, that's so sick. 
Um, hey, Gabe, idea? We mm-hmm. we run a, a short adventure of this after we're done with Unwelcome Spirit. That was my exact idea. Yeah. Uh, I, was, I was already thinking of campaign ideas. And I'm already okay. pained because I kind of want to run one, but I also like these character things. All right, next one. I, I will let you, you know, out of the, you know, the kindness of my heart, I will let you DM. Wait, wait, so wait. So I can play I didn't, some of the character ideas I have. I, I didn't say you that. Know, no, hold up. Anything I can do to help you out, Shiloh. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to help. I'm your servant. Okay. All right. Inscrutable. 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 <laughs> like a phoenix, you have a mind like a maze, and that is the Voldemort will screw to me. Like a sphinx. Like a you said phoenix. Yes. Eh, same thing. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> So this might be like a gift or training from an actual sphinx. <laughs> sphinx, dude. <laughs> a sphinx. A sphinx. That's actually pretty dope, though. A sphinx. Yeah. A fiery sphinx. That's cool. Other than the fact that sphinx is the weirdest word. Okay, continue. Phoenix. Um, so sphinxes in this world are. Like in a lot of other places, you know, there are these wise creatures, and they will sometimes teach mortals if they deem them worthy. So this might be an actual gift from a sphinx that you've met, or something that you got got out of their training. Um, so essentially, you are good with your mind. Yup. Mm-hmm. You have resistance to psychic damage. Which is... And are immune. Super useful, by the way. So useful. Psychic mm-hmm. damage, all over D&D. Yeah, it's like actually the most common damage type. That's right, what I heard. Right above fire. Yeah. <clears throat> and moving on. <laughs> You're immune to any effect that allows other creatures to sense your emotions or read your thoughts. Also, like inside checks made against you to ascertain your intentions or sincerity have disadvantage. This is like kind of like on like the lighter side. Like some of these supernatural gifts are really big. There's a lot of different things to it. And the ones just like small little tidbits that fit the idea. Yeah. Um, this one's really cool roleplay, but this is not good mechanically compared to the other ones you've seen so far. Yeah. Okay, All and right. then once again, characteristics of like why do you why are you cool and why do you have Sphinx powers and stuff. I was educated. I'm a learned person. Yep. Okay. <laughs> oh, I like this All one. Right. I'll go through this one. I've never seen it before, but it's, I like the name. Lifelong companion. Behind many heroes is another hero, whose greatness comes from the support and love they offer. And then it gives examples of... You gain of, the power of marriage. You gain the power of Samwise Gamgee. Additionally, <laughs> you gain the following traits. Okay, any relationship with another player's character requires that player's consent. Okay, so this could be a bond with a PC or a, someone from your past. Mm-hmm. Or your backstory. Okay, Boon Aura. Your allies within five feet of you have advantage on saving throws against being frightened or charmed, provided you aren't incapacitated. See, this is the kind of auras that Paladin needed to have. It's only five feet. It's pretty niche, just frightened and charmed. Not that advantage against all magic stuff, okay? Paladins, <laughs> you could take a book out of this. this. That's not advantage against all magic. That's just one of the subclasses. Okay, companion's protection. When a creature you can see within five feet of you is hit by an attack roll, you can use your reaction to cause the attack to hit you instead. Wait, so you're the companion? So basically, it's just like you have a companion. Or like a partner like in of... crime. Yeah. Okay. And so then once you do this, you, you can't do so again until yeah. you finish long rest. Like helping other people and being like attached to people is a part of you. 
Okay, I just had character idea. So you, you're playing like a really big barbarian, like I'm thinking green giant, okay? And, but you're like really nice. Like you're just a nice, wholesome, innocent little, uh, you know, barbarian character. And then like you have another PC in the party, like your little buddy. And then you use this ability for when they get, you always stay by their side. And when they get a hit, you take it, the hit, but you're a barbarian, so it barely hurts you. That was, anyway, that was my little. Cool. Okay. <clears throat> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so then describes like what your companionship like might be like. It's might be like your lover or a sibling, friend, whatever. All right, Nixborn. Um, so basically, like the Nix is where the gods live. It's like this starry place from which they were born, and you were also born from the Nix. So it's like a frag. You're like a fragment of divinity. And you personify an idea or a dream. Like you embody that idea and you became living because of that. So. Wow. That's intense. Yeah. You're like born out of thoughts, ideas, and dreams, essentially. Damn. Which is such a dope idea. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, like how you might have been like made by the might be like, oh, you're made by a god or. You just like literally were thought into existence. There's a ton of other ideas like you can use, but I just love the idea that you were like made. You're formed out of ideas, dreams, memories, and feelings. Yeah. And then just personified. So cool. All right. This is one of the more powerful uh, supernatural gifts, as you'll see in a second. Cloak of stars. As an action, you wrap yourself in a starry cloak, appearing like a silhouetted form of the night sky. When you do, attack rolls have disadvantage against you. The cloak lasts for a minute until you doff it, uh, or until you die. And you can use this ability once per long rest. Wow. No. That's just not true. That's not an ability you have. I just won't believe that. <laughs> that's not something you get at first level. That's just not... <laughs> I'm sorry, what? Yeah, that's insane. Maybe, um, until you get hit. I'm good with disadvantage till you get hit by an attack. But not for the whole combat. <laughs> uh, okay, plus... Yeah, that's pretty insane. Plus resistance to necrotic and radiant damage. Mm -hmm. Okay. Which I must say are way more like common than psychic damage. Yeah. At least in the games that I've played. And probably in this game, where there's like gods yeah. and stuff everywhere. Okay, so this has a table of like your origin of how you were born of dreams or whatever, but also little quirks, which are really cool. Mm -hmm. like um like, my laughter causes nearby birds to erupt in song my anger smells like burning autumn leaves whoa this is a cool one people who sleep near me always dream of the sea that's so cool so it's like these like weird little quirks that happen because you're literally formed out of thought that's so that's so thought. sick okay oracle alright uh, guys mm -hmm. I want you guys to guess what the oracle is about <clears throat> All right, I'll go, I'll go through the Oracle Roman here. Roman mythology. Yeah. Oracle. Basically, you are the medium between gods and mortals. You're the the vehicle in which communication is communicated. Um, I assume you know what an Oracle is. Mm. Okay, ears of the Oracle. You can speak, read, write, and celestial. Speak, read, and write, celestial, yeah. 
In addition, a god might deliver a message through you, and you can decide whether to use your own voice or allow the god's voice to come through your mouth to deliver the message. Liddy, Oracle's insight, the gods give you flashes of insight. When you make an ability check, you can roll a d10 and add the number roll to the check. You can wait till after the d20 is rolled, but before... Oh, but um, before the DM says whether the roll succeeds or fails. Regain that in a short or long rest. That's cool, so you have like a little future, future sight. Oracle's piety. Your auricular abilities improve as your piety score increases. Sorry? Auricular? Auricular? <clears throat> Instead of gaining the piety benefits associated with any yeah. god, you gain the following traits when you reach the specified piety score. So this All is right. like the... Brief, uh, brief insight of what piety is. So yeah. basically, uh, most characters... Oh, every character except for the... Uh, Iconoclast. Yeah, Iconoclast. Uh, essentially, you, like choose a god to follow, or you like what, for whatever reason, and you gain this piety score. Like you start out at one, I believe, or zero, and then you get increases in piety score. That uh, like when you get increases in piety score, it, uh, change based on what god you're following. And we'll get into that more later because it's a lot more detailed than that. But for now, all you need to understand is that you start out with a score for a god, but if you're an oracle, instead of the trees that you... Traits that you gain from increased piety for that god, you instead gain these traits. I made it. I made it through. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like renown. It's just like renown with organizations, basically. Yes. Okay. Uh, if you When you have piety three or more, you gain to cast augury as a ritual... 10 or more divination as a ritual, 25 or more commune as a ritual. 50 or more, you can increase your int or whiz score by 2 and increase your maximum of that score by 2. This is cool. One of the things that, that we didn't say is uh, when you have 25 or more piety score, you can't be surprised by oh. you're incapacitated. Yes. So it's like the, you're always like aware. seeing a little bit in the future. Yeah, aware. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, then Oracle Curse, you get you have some sort of curse because you get to see the future and get visions by gods and that's cool but you're haunted by nightmares or this is a, the dopest one i know exactly how i'm going to die and i can't do or say anything to prevent it that's the most terrifying thing in the world okay that's really cool it's really cool ones here yeah really interesting like, uh character monster nicks watching me constantly and i see it every time i venture outdoors yeah Duh. okay a really depressing one really anytime i go close to someone I see them aged, dying, or dead. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, Oracle sounds like a really, really interesting character to play for sure. Like, mm -hmm. really, I really interesting. I would love to play an Oracle. Sorry? Nothing. Okay. Take away Pious. Pious. Everybody likes gods, right? You like gods more. Ooh. You are Pious. You were born with a particular connection to a deity and you've been winning the favor with your god since birth. So, pious protection, if you fail saving throw, you can reroll it, you must use the new roll, you can use this once for a long rest. Religious study, you have advantage on any religion check uh, pertaining to your chosen god, and then starting piety, you begin with a piety score of three, if you chose some god. That's so you already got like sick. a boost, like when everyone else makes the characters, they start one or zero, I forget which, but you already have a boost because you've been following this god and you've been devoted to this god your entire life. 
then you got some pious quirks. Quirky. Just random table of ideas that might pertain to the character. Like, I have no home besides the temples of my god. I can't prove it, but I suspect that my god might actually be my parent. We've heard that one before, haven't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Or my, my personal favorite is that your character is really jealous of the god's oracles, who seem to have a more intimate relationship with the god than you could ever have. Ooh, that's sick. Like that. Ooh, dude, okay. You know, random tables uh, in 5th edition get some crap, but, and I've given them some crap sometimes. But these are all really good, and these are all very inspirational. And I think that's what they're mm -hmm. about, and that's what they're for. Yeah, not to rag on Matthew Mercer, but these random tables are a lot better than those. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna definitely going to be doing comparisons between this and the other one we reviewed. <laughs> and also Ravnica, which is the other book we reviewed, or at least I reviewed on the podcast. But Gabe knows a lot about it as well. Um, and these are both also Magic the Gathering worlds. Mm -hmm. So we're also going to be doing some comparing probably at the end of our whole uh, review here. Okay. We gotta hurry the H up, so let me do go through this last right. one here. Unscarred. Your resistance to physical you're resistant to physical harm. Um, I guess like if you were dipped into the river sticks or whatever, I guess that's kind of the, the concept. When you take Nyx. damage, reaction to roll a D twelve. They are plagiarizing actual history. It's Nyx, not sticks. Oh, oh, sorry, Nyx, not sticks, my bad. When you take damage, you use reaction to roll a D twelve, add your con modifier to the number rolled, and reduce the damage by that total. Regain shorter long rest like the Goliaths uh, have. Yeah. And then you have your origin here um, on, on why so you're like, okay. cool. Briefly touching and, on these supernatural gifts, they're all over the place. Like, I love the the thought and flavor behind each one of them, but power level-wise, they're all over the place. Yeah. Like, because at the beginning, it was like, your supernatural gift can be, like, a feat as well. Like, I would take a feat over many of these. Yes. Um, but definitely not over Nyxborn. Definitely not over Nyxborn. <laughs> it's just... That just seems strange to me. Because mm -hmm. 5th edition has been out for like a very long time now. They've done so many books and gotten so many so much feedback. And yet they still released The Next Born. Like, I don't know. It just seems strange. Because that is just really broken. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, okay. I had this idea of a character that was a Next Born. And believe that they are created to bring the downfall of the gods. Mm-hmm. That's or tight. bring the end to a certain god, you know? Yeah. I really right, I really like the supernatural gifts. Those are, those are cool. New character creation stuff. Also, to make you a little more powerful at first level, because you're pretty squishy at first level, so. Mm -hmm. I just like the idea of like a guiding little idea behind your character. Yeah. You're like, oh, I was destined to do this, or I was given the gift to do this. So yeah. Made in this way. Yeah. You just help guide characters along. Yeah, it makes you special. And makes you just fit in as a D&D &D character more. Alright, so, races. There are six races in... Sorry, six? Yes, six. Six races in this world. Only Humans, six. Centaurs, Leonin, Minotaur, Satyrs, and Triton. Break each one down a bit. Uh, but you already know what humans are. Centaurs are, you know, half human, half horse. Fae creatures. Leonin are like lion people. Yep. Essentially. Yep. Minotaurs, horns, big, burly, often angry dudes. Bull people. Mm-hmm. Satyrs, you know, they're your typical half-human, half-furry, goat-legged people, whatever. They like their revels in life and adventures. 
and tridents are your emo underground drow. Underwater really? drow. They're emo in No, this? I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh. No, no, no. Okay. Um, I would like to, I would like to say for all you Magic the Gathering listeners out there, um, you know, you know, you know what I know. Needs to be more Minotaurs and more Satyrs, okay? Because we just got that new Satyr Tribal card from the last Theros set, but there's no Satyrs to put into that dang Commander deck. Can we get some more Satyrs? Anyway, sorry. Also, well, more Minotaurs. I will say that if you are a DM and you bring your players to this world, at least one, if not multiple, if they like to be strong characters, are going to be Satyrs. Alright, moving on. Humans. Uh, humans are humans, and they have cool names now. They Same give abilities. you. Yeah. Yeah. Same ability score increases. You can still, get, still take very inhuman because you like feats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just gives other names, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now we get into the interesting card phrases. Centaurs. Right. There are. We've two different. Two different like different tribes. Yeah. Looks like. Laguna and There's the Fered. Or fairies. Fairies, yeah. So Laguna are like more like merchants, you know, they travel around and be people. Oh, also, I mean, not going to get into the entire history of centaurs, but like, there are pretty much often nomadic, you know, living by either like family tribes yeah. or other sort of, I almost said clubs, you know. Exclusive clubs. <laughs> Top tier clubs. So yeah, there's a lot of history here detailing these two different wow, there uh, is generalized bands of uh, centaurs. You can get to that if you like yeah. that. So it's like Laguna are more like merchant. chill merchant dudes, and Freeze are more like warrior hunting combat focused dudes. Yeah, yeah. And then there's some renegade. There's some renegades. Renegade. Uh, cool names. Some honorifics. Mm-hmm. Three kills. Razor hoof. The unsleeping. All that kind of stuff. Hmm, three kills. I wonder what that came from. I wonder uh, how many kills they have. Mm-hmm. Alright, now we get into the stats. Ability score increase. Strength by two, wisdom by one. That's fine. Alright, age. Uh, it says here that the age of the same brain as humans. Alignment and towards neutrality. Sometimes they are chaotic. Size, so, six and seven feet tall, medium. They All just, right. they can't now, do it. They can't make a race large. I know. I was thinking about this last night as I was going to bed, like, they just pigeonholed themselves themselves way too much. Like, yeah. They made us, like, there's so many things that are detailed yeah. around medium creatures. Yeah. They they ruined themselves. Um, also, mm. uh, by the way, uh, Centaur has appeared before in other um, source books, and this is the same stats it looks like, so don't worry. They didn't change anything. Question, are they fey in Ravnica? They are. Or they're... Okay. I don't know if they're fey, but I think they're monstrosities, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, because that is an important part here. Your walking speed is 40, whatever, you're fast, you're fast boy. I think the rest are like the same as like other iterations. I'm, yep. I don't know if they were fey. Because making them a fey is like a controversial thing, because there are a lot of things that affect only humanoids. Yeah, it's not controversial, Which, it's cool. Okay? Well, it is pretty controversial. 
Like old person oh only affects humanoids. But yeah, being a fae so, means you you avoid that. That's cool. That's like a cool ability. It is cool. It is cool. But I'm seeing it's controversial to like balance wise. Okay, I'm gonna go get my uh my Ravnica book. I'll be right back. Let me let me check the differences. Alright. So that's like kind of a thing that's in this world. People are always worried about whether things are balanced or not in this book. There are some balance issues, I will say, we'll get into the Seder later, which is very powerful. Extremely powerful. Sorry, what are you looking at right now? Uh, I'm just explaining that it's kind of a theme that there are a lot of, like, there's some balance issues in this book that people are mad about or annoyed about or cautious about. But, as always, you know, get a few things for yourself if you're DMing or playing. If you feel something is overpowered or underpowered, work out a solution. That's what this game's made for, you know? Okay. Uh, yes, it's exactly the same. The stat, it's fair. Okay. Okay. So every, everything is exactly the same. All right. And you can charge and now hit people go. with your hooves and stuff. Also, those yeah. abilities. Mm. And you are can count as one size larger when some of your carrying capacity and the weight you can push up and drag. But you aren't one size larger. For some reason. Because mm -hmm. you can't be large for some reason. Alright, now we get into my favorite boys in this book. The Leonin. They are these noble and fierce dragon people. What? Lion people. lion people. Lion people. Sorry, did I say dragon people? You said dragon people. They're like, right, they're lion, lion people. people. Mm -hmm. They are like tabaxi, but cooler. Yeah, way cooler. Um, Cause they're lions. Uh, what's McCall from Magic the Gathering? That planeswalker, a Johnny. If you know anything about Magic the Gathering, a Johnny. A-J-A-N-I, if you look him up, he's cool. He's a Leonin. He's, he's really dope. That's what they are. They're cool. And Leonin are like one of the few people who they're a race who pretty much all of them deny like worshiping of the gods they don't worship the gods they despise the gods because of a long and complicated vast history with them and i think that's interesting in this world mm. all right now we get on to the more lackluster side of them well, i really love the idea of them love the way that they look the way that they sound statistically they aren't as you know up there Whatever. But, you know, two's throne. Three's throne. Yep. Thurus. Okay. Mm. Con two. Names. Strength one. Mm. Uh, cool. Same uh, maturity and age as humans. Yeah. Uh, ten serves better alignment. No one gets better alignment. Dark Six vision. Six or over seven feet tall. Oh! 35 feet. 35 feet. Mm-hmm. Getting a little bit adventurous here. Ooh. Oh, you can move five feet more. Whoa. Okay, dark right, vision. Dark vision, 60 feet. Yeah. Um, you have claws. You are. You can get proficiency in athletics, intimidation, perception, or survival. And you have this cool thing called a daunting roar. It's a bonus action. Uh, creatures of your choice within only 10 feet of you, though. So, again, this isn't exactly a top-tier race, mechanically. But it is cool. Uh, creatures of your choice within 10 feet of you, uh, wisdom saving throw, or be frightened until the end of your next turn. And it's based off your constitution modifier. Your, the DC is based off your constitution modifier. Again, cool. Cool. Sure. Okay, cool. Minotaur. Minotaur. I'm pretty sure these stats are also the same for, um... Probably. Um, Minotaur, a lot of times in a lot of worlds, are, you know, evil because they've, you know, been influenced by Bahamut or whatever. Um, same thing here. 
uh, Minotaur is often in the service of Mogus, which is like the evil war god, as opposed to the more lawful war god. Uh, but yeah, some of them aren't super evil. And those are typically the ones you're going to be playing. Uh, okay, so they're cool. <laughs> yeah, Minotaurs have always been cool. They're cool, yeah. uh, and their namesake, apparently, it looks like Hero. They're, your name matters a lot. Who you're named yes. for. That sounds like a cool thing. Yeah. We're like... You're like named after a, a strong or important Minotaur in their history, because they believe that naming someone after like having a namesake means that they will follow their same destiny. Yep. Okay. All right. Now we get on to the broken part of this book. Satyrs. Wait. Real quick. If you don't know, strength two, con one. They oh, have it's... horns. They have a goring rush. They can hit you with your horns to knock you prone, and they can get proficiency in like intimidation or persuasion. Basically, yeah. that's it. Um, cool. Good and balanced and cool and nice. Whatever. Um, I would like to say, though, we only have two more races. <laughs> and so far, like, all of these races have been strength and con. <laughs> yeah. So, well, that's fun. Satyrs aren't. Okay. Satyrs are the best. You probably know what a satyr are. Yes, they are actually the best. Wait, really? Like, they're probably the best race in D&D right now this iteration okay let me take a look here you, you, you already know what a satyr is you know your typical born of the wild you know people who can embrace life and adventure parties know, or whatever wine mm -hmm. all right i've said it enough now let's get into why they're broken all right charisma two dex one yeah both very good makes ability scores makes so much sense to me makes sense a lot of sense but they're also strong just keep that in mind all right speed your base walking speed is 35 all right nice little boost okay they are fey another little power boost because cool they don't get affected by things that only affect humanoids cool 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 they have ram horns so they have an unarmed strike there's a little bit more all right magic resistance you've advantage on saving throws against spells no magical effects. no shut up no yep this is yanti all over again but they're also fey and they aren't considered as evil Place to run Yanti are. Magic <laughs> resistance. <gasps> okay. Resistance. Oh, there's the plus two charisma and a plus one to dex. These are very strong. There's more. Mm -hmm. uh, you can jump higher and longer. Um, you can <laughs> cool. gain efficiency and performance or persuasion. And you get another language. So uh, a musical instrument, uh, too. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I would sorry, like to sorry, say. Sorry. That's also really important. Um. The ability to make a high long jump or whatever, like they get that little boost in your jumps, is called mirthful leaps. <laughs> okay, sorry, that's it. I just thought that was stupid. Okay, and then there's a nice little art piece of that card I was talking mm -hmm. about. That satyr tribal I will say this. commander. If you play with players who tend to be a power gamers, and they are thinking of going a satyr. Maybe rework this a little bit because magic resistance is crazy. I think, I, in my experience. Yeah, definitely in, in this world too. It appears having advantage on all saving throws against spells and and other magical effects. Yeah. It's yep, crazy. yep. 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 All right, tritons. These are your bluey, underwatery fish people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's the same. Yeah, no, it, it, it'll, be, it'll be the same. Also, dope yeah. art. 
Mm-hmm. Um, wait. Let me check. While he's checking that, move out loud. Next thing is, there are two subclasses included with this. I wish there were more, but we've got two, so be happy. Um, so. There's one of the bards called the College of Eloquence. Basically, you're really good at talking with people and calming people down. And really good at persuading people to do things. You're really eloquent with your speech. And I like to say that I really like all these options. I'm not going to get into all of them, because, you know, there's several different options here in this uh, subclass. But they're all really interesting and fit the idea of you being really good with your words, really good orator. And you're eloquent. You're good. It's okay. balance wise, I'd say it's pretty good. Uh, uh, it's not this, too overpowered as far as I can tell. This um this has been in an Earth Arcana before. Yes. I recognize. And it's been slightly changed. Yes. Okay. There's some changes here. Cool. Also, the other subclass in here has also been in Earth Arcana before. It's the Paladin Oath of Glory. Now this one has been changed a lot, and I don't think it's very good. But, if you like the idea of its tenets, you know, you're a very, like, action over words kind of guy, you like challenges and tests, and you're trying to, like, hone your body to become the perfect tool, maybe so go for it. But, strength-wise, it's not very good. Uh, you just become, like, better at running and stuff. Yeah. And stronger. That's cool, though. Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty cool. Okay. Alright. And New then backgrounds. it introduces just a very athlete background. Um, and just details that and what that means in this world. Right, because there's like oh, the Olympic the, Games. Yeah, there's like the Olympic Games. Okay. But sadly, no like gladiatorial games in the Olympic Games, whatever it's called. Whatever. Okay, cool. I'm that sorry, was almost an hour, and that was the first chapter. Was it the first chapter? Yeah. Alright, okay. Holy balls, Let's just okay. Let's touch on gods. Yeah. Because there's no way we get through all of gods, but i show you guys what's in this a bit, okay? Yeah, and nobody wants to hear so, us talk about every single god, because there's like 20. Yes, because there's like 15 of them, I think. Also, a lot of these have really broken magic cards, by the way. <clears throat> okay. Okay, that's cool. No one cares. Alright, so they detail each one of the 15 gods, their alignment, what cleric domains fit them, and like the symbols, and then it gets into the piety uh, system. So basically... Wait, do you start at 1 or 0? Yes. So, when you choose a god to worship at the beginning of character creation, your piety score related to that god is 1. Your score increases by 1 when you do certain things to advance the god's interests. You uh, There's certain, like... Uh, thresholds 3 10 25 and 50 for piety scores and at each one of those places you get a benefit related to that god which is pretty cool and just okay i, I love this so much like yes it details like how you can like change the gods that you worship and you can also like lose your piety score or whatever the coolest thing about this piety idea is that for each one of the gods it tells you if you're worshiping this god, if you're getting piety from this god, here are three specific things that you gain piety from, and three things that you lose piety from doing. Yeah. 
that are individual to each one of these 15 gods. Dude, there's so much on each of these gods. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And then it details what like the benefits you get from reaching that piety score. I love this so much. Okay, okay. Let's talk about this. So real quick. details like... Yeah. I'm just looking at this first one right here. Athreos, God of Passage. Uh, really, really good card. Works in good Shadowborn Apostle Commander decks. Anyway, um, he's like the god of taking people from life to death, um, uh, uh, essentially. Um, to my From my memory of Magic the Gathering lore. Yes, um, that's correct. He's like the, you know, the fairy man in Greek uh, mythology, that dude who um, ferries that boat into Hades. Okay. So we have here what it's like to worship Athreos, what it means. Um, this is really cool. The myths that include Athreos, like the stories that he's in. And there's, there's like three examples and like a pair, like a pretty big paragraph on each describing that myth, which is really cool. Um, mm -hmm. Alignment. Okay, so usually lawful, often evil. It says for this god, but it's different for all the other gods. I guess this is telling what, what uh, champions of this god. Yeah, oh yeah, champions like. of this god are like. Yeah, suggested classes, suggested cleric domains, suggested backgrounds. Come on. Um, mm -hmm. Athreos Circumstances is... from which you came into the god's favor, you know? Yes. Whether they would choose you as a champion or... Like, there's so much. Wow. It's each one of these 15 gods. Yeah, and they're juicy too. Like, these are good, juicy, inspirational uh, tables mm -hmm. here. Hit ideals that you might uh, agree with for him, that you might have as your own ideals. Very cool. Um, Earning, losing piety. Yep. Like, and these are individual. I love yep. that. They didn't yep. just, like, like yep. put out a blatant, you know, okay, you gain piety from, you know, worshipping your god, helping people, or, like, winning battles or something. It's, like, individual things, like, providing coins and seeing overseeing burial rites, you know? Yeah. Or ensuring that the deeds and not just someone who has died are... Or preserved, you know, individual things for each individual god. And same with the things like how you can lose piety, you know, like denying uh, final rights to a dying person, or stealing from a tomb. Yeah. Mwah. 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 I love this Mwah. so much. And, and then the uh, the benefits you get for each um, reaching each level of piety. Okay, so it looks like that for each of these piety ranks, like 3 and then 10 and then 2550, it looks like you just get spells um some uh, yeah like spells like uh, in like the last one is you gain like an asi ability score increase when you reach yeah piety. uh but some of them aren't spells cause some of them are like you gain advantage on persuasion checks when you're in the city for like the next god or there there are like certain individual ones a lot of them do yeah. default to spells but there are other ones yeah. like when a creature dies within 10 feet of you, you can use a reaction to gain temporary hit points. Or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Uh, Mogus, which is, like, the evil god of slaughter or whatever, his are, um, I believe, like, he gets some of, like, the Paladin Smites. Like, Wrathful Smite and Blinding Smite, which is cool. Whatever. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I, I actually have no problem with the spells. There's 15 gods that each have, like, three, four different... Uh, upgrades, it, depending on your piety and all that kind of stuff. So, I really have no problem that they didn't have to come. They didn't try to come up with a new ability for every single one because I think it would sound really. It would just feel really weird. Yeah. So that's cool that there's spells and stuff. And it's a lot um, to keep track of, you know. Yeah. Always uh, new abilities. So, so. Yeah. Lots of balance and stuff, and spells that are balance already balanced, you know, force. enough. Okay, so these are all really cool. There's mm -hmm. a ton of them, and they're all. Want to shout out so, the amount of detail that is in this book? 
know, yeah. this, they're, okay, they took on this massive task of a whole new world, you know? New pantheon. Fifteen gods in the pantheon. Yeah. Fifteen gods. Yeah. And they did all of this work for each god to detail who they are, what their sphere of influence is, their goals, their relationships to the other gods, how people worship them, like tales and myths about these gods they have, they're involved with, how you might gain piety, lose piety, uh, what class, what alignment, what cleric domain, what background might you be if you're worshipping this god. How did you gain this god's favor? There's so much work put into each one of yeah. these gods. It's such a great yeah. commitment to providing detail. No, for sure. And I just think for, like, character creation and everything, like, this is just such a clear, like, direction and goal for your character, and it just helps not only, you know, make your character more unique than the other characters and stuff, but also just give them inspiration to the backstory, how they gain their favor, like, their ideals, what they believe, what their their motivations and their goals in life are, you know, to further the, the goals of these gods and stuff. Mm-hmm. So cool. This and is so detailed and so cool, and there's 15 different ones, so, like, very rare anyone in the party is going to, like, have the same yeah. god or, like, even a similar god. Which is really important because in this world, the, go- the gods are so involved, you know, and, like, practically everyone worships the gods. You know, they're a big part of this world, so they needed to have detailed gods with detailed information about how you might be a champion of this god. Also, there's dope art pieces for each one of them. Yeah, these are all, yeah, I recognize all these from the magic cards, and I, I love... All these art pieces. Like, once again, Magic Dating Art, you can always, always have faith that it's going to be beautiful. Yeah, if only we could um, get precise wording in D&D as we do have in Magic, that would be nice. <laughs> there are some hiccups that I wish were avoided. All right. Yeah, and also, like, and also in most of these art pieces, like, where there's shadow, it looks like a night sky and there's, like, stars and stuff, mm-hmm. and that's just a, so beautiful. Um, Okay, let's real quick just talk about this whole piety system these gods and for me uh it kind of reminds me of like how it stacks up to the guild system in in the ravnica book yes okay this is kind of like the big unique new system to me that's what it seems like that that, that, that's what this is for this uh campaign setting yes yeah yeah would you agree Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i wasn't sure if that was a good so now you talk Oh yeah, it was like a question, and it was also a rhetorical question. All um, right. Yes. What? So you love it? Can you detail more, like why you love it, and and how it stacks up to the guilds, the guild system, and explain a little bit what that is. All right. The guild system comes from the the Ravnica guide. So it's, what's it called? Guildmaster's guide to Ravnica. Guildmaster's guide to Ravnica. Yeah. Yes. Which is another D. Uh, sorry, Magic the Gathering plane and D and D setting. It details this guild system because a big part of Ravnica is that it is led by these guilds and each guild has their own you know purpose job ideas and they're an individual organization made up of people and they have this system built into the book where as you do jobs as you help the each guild out you gain renown in that guild and at certain points based on your renown score you gain access to certain things in that guild and like at the top, like if you reach the top, you can you know become like part of the leadership or something, depending on the guild. So you different benefits based on how much you're doing for the guild, how much you're doing to help out, how much you're doing to help out with their problems. I really like that yeah. idea because I just like the idea of uh, keeping track 
of what you've done for certain groups of people. And it's, like, it's pretty, like, commonsensical to, like, okay, we've been helping out these people, and now they're going to, you know, grant us access to this, you know, part of the organization. Yeah. Or help us out with this, yeah. or give us troops to command, because yeah. we've been serving yeah. them loyally. It makes sense. Yeah. And I love the system, the way that's implemented. It's pretty simple. It's pretty laid out. And it sparks so many things that you can use in campaigns, you know? Like, some characters can be, like, determined to climb the ranks of this guild, and they, like, that's yeah. part of the goal, is, you know? You can have, like, oh, when the characters reach this part, like, and this uh, amount of renown, they gain access to this, and then that's, like, a campaign, that's, like, an adventure hook, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's just a free, for GMs, it's just a free, like, adventure hook, essentially. <laughs> Um, and just a nice to get way people to, to, to players, you know? yeah, exactly. Don't because it's mechan there's mechanical rewards and everything, um, like super cool. Like the rewards in that is like you get access to troops and scouts and money and stuff. Um, it's really cool. But let's like it's like oh, you know mechanical benefits and rewards for climbing the ranks of this guild, which means that they're just you know going to do the go on those missions. Sometimes it's hard for GMs to get their players to want to go on the missions or care about missions or to go on adventures and stuff. But with that system, it's very much like. I'm a part of this guild. I want to climb ranks to gain more reward. So therefore, I will do this adventure. Mm -hmm. And so that's really nice and helpful for GMs. And that is exactly what this one is like as well. Yes. Um, these gods really and their tenets. Especially helpful. Like both these systems are especially helpful for providing incentive to new characters and to new players. You know, new players are often you yeah. know, okay, just DM tell me what to do, and they just kind of follow the flow. But having, like, these laid-out systems of, like, okay, like, you're a part of this, you follow this god, or you're part of this guild, you know? It's obvious, like, there's an obvious, like, idea of, like, okay, this is what I want to do, this is what my character wants to do. This is what I can do to advance my character. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's cool, and also both of them also have systems of, like, helping you in character creation and what you believe in and what you care about and stuff. Both of them also help you in character creation to, to focus your character and stuff. Mm. So I also like that. Um, however, how as cool as the guild system was, and that's really what drew me to it the most uh, about that, that setting, and why I started a campaign and why I cared so much about it and why I thought it was really cool was that guild system. As cool it was in theory, we found it was a little hard to actually implement because people in the party were of different guilds, right? That's cool. That makes sense. That would make sense, right? Because you want your party to be really diverse and mm -hmm. be all of all these, because there's so many cool different guilds and everyone wants to be a different part, like different one. And that's cool. And that's what you want in your party. But that means that like, if one of them and their guild like assigns them a mission, like the rest of them are going to tag along, but they're not going to get anything out of it and stuff. And it was just, it's just hard and just very, it was just actually ended up actually being a little clunky and just a little strange. Um, with, unless, like, your whole party is from the same guild, but that's boring. With this, though, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it appears like you can retract different piety levels with different gods. Let me see. I don't know if that's correct. But if that's true, then if you're a main follower of Heliod, which is, like, the god of the sun, and your friend in the party is a main follower of Crufix, and uh, the... the cult of crufix or the you know the, the main group who follows crufix assigns your party a mission and you go on it yeah your friend is gonna that's what he wants to do that because he's gonna get piety levels on crufix because that's his main god but so are you 
And over time, you can slowly accrue a little bit of benefits with Crufix as well, even though you're also focusing mainly on Heliod. And that seems pretty cool to me. All right. I don't and, think, and a way to okay, circumvent that problem. I don't think it's actually that way. Okay. Let me but, I, okay, let me... I think what you're saying is that, like, why would I go on this quest for this god if I don't get anything out of, like, any mechanical benefit while this character is getting piety score? It's different from the guild system in that you can gain your piety, your piety score can increase for a variety of different things, not just, like, uh, fulfilling a job, you know? Yes, while, yes, exactly. Well, the renounce uh, system was very strict in that, like, you typically get renowned by like, doing jobs for them, you know, that's pretty much, like, the only way you could do it, and it was, like, pretty much the only logical way, you know, because they're, they're a guild, they're an organization, you know? That's the way to gain favor for them, you know? You do the jobs, you do the things that they assign you. But for the gods, it's more abstract in that you can do yeah. these things in every single session, you know, you... It says that you're uh, expected to gain pieties, at least one piety score per session, typically, because the amount of ways you can gain piety are way more, like, uh, varied and less tied down to just completing a job. You know, you can just, like, yeah. help someone out and gain piety, you know? You can just, like, it's like that person you're walking down the street past, you can, like, toss them a coin and give them a word of advice and gain piety. You can gain piety while on a mission from another god you know it, yeah it, it makes more sense because the gods are also intertwined you know and involved it makes sense that you can like gain piety while not necessarily even like being on a job specifically for that god because you know they're involved they all have their own uh circles of influence yeah yeah sure and in a way i like that better and i also like that less um but it does seem like it's a little more clean um, I, I'm just a little afraid that it could end up being like how XP turns people into murder hobos, um, because of how loose and sometimes how simple those things are. Mm. People will, it will take out of the game when, if people are just kind of continually trying to gain piety for doing these things or whatever. So I don't know. Yeah. Once but again, also at the same time, I think it makes more sense action. for people to, instead of like murder hoboing, like, oh, my God is really about, you know, helping out the poor time and take every single chance I can. To help us out it's a bit more fitting and it's less of like uh like a outside of the game thing you know like murder hoping is like oh i know by killing things i get xp so therefore i'm going to kill everything in this case it's more like oh i know that i can gain favor by helping people out by doing this by uh providing coin by doing this and that and this and that it's more varied and less drastic. Sure, sure. But I just think in the same sense that it could still just take away from the game and story. You know what I mean? Um, but, like, here, I'm looking at this one, uh, Ephara, and one of her things to earn piety, piety is, like, defeating a tyrant who threatens a city's freedom. Right? That's great. So that's going to be a little plot arc. And when the the follower of, of Ephara and her friends, the party, right, they deal with this threat, she gains piety. But along the way, right, the follower of Athreos might, um, the, the ones who are being subjected and, and killed and hung unfairly by this tyrant, and he's giving them, the, that player is giving them proper bur burial and all that kind of stuff. He's also getting piety while helping the follower of Afara deal with this tyrant, you know, mm -hmm. that's her drive and stuff. That's really cool, you know, mixing these things together. And, and you know, f also, I think it helps 
it can also encourage uh, ways for players to connect um, yeah, exactly. in their different goals and things. What I was trying to get to before, all murder hoboing is like pure like greed for XP and leveling up. Like the like greed for piety can like be an actual character thing that isn't as disruptive as trying to murder everything. Like being someone who wants to be super pious and do all these things for his gods, do all these things for their god, is a lot more believable and yeah easier to facilitate than someone who just wants to kill everything so that their character can mechanically increase in strength. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, it might take out from the game, but I think that's a lot up to the players and the DM and how you handle yeah. it. As with yeah, everything, I, I, I obviously. Agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Once again, it could. I don't know how it's going to work in practice. Um, and maybe if we do an actual play of this, we'll see. Um, but I'm, I'm very interested. This seems really cool, and I like this a lot. Um, so I'm inter- but um, you know, like uh, like the guild thing. I just I don't know how it's going to appear in practice. So we're gonna have to see. Um, hopefully it's cool though, because it seems really cool, and I really like this system. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think that's all for time today. We didn't get quite into the the uh, third chapter where it breaks down the realm. You know. I mean, places here's the it. thing. Here's the thing. Gabe, four, five, and six are packed. Yeah, and that's true. You you know we're going to talk a lot about them, and this Gazetteer is going to be very quick, so I think we can. All right. Gazetteer. Um, okay. Wait, I actually skipped a chapter. Oops. Cool. Uh, yeah, basically, the world... <laughs> Ooh, this map. Ooh. That's such a nice-looking map. Oh, my gosh. That's so clean. Okay, um, it's basically all based off of Greece, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. It's like the tip of a continent plus islands, Yeah, which is what Greece is, <laughs> or, you know, was in ancient times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it breaks down um, what life is like in the cities, what the calendar months are, and then it starts breaking down what people are in the different uh, city-states on the continent and then in the sea um we obviously can't speak every single word that is written down here because we'd be here until so, there's a lot but just like in wild mount it details a lot of different places a lot of different uh things that pertain to those well while wild mount had more places i believe in this place than uh theros does yeah theros is actually yeah. a relatively small uh, section of land and ocean. I believe it was something like 200 miles in diameter or, or uh, diameter or radius. I, or whatever. I don't quite remember. Might be 200 miles or 400 miles across. But it's relatively small compared to a lot of other settings. So it makes sense that there are less places, but it does mean that there's less information that you're like bombarded with all at once when you go and yeah. Here, you know, like, oh, there here's this 35 billion different cities and what they're like <laughs> in this specific part yeah. of the world. And while this, it might be a little bit more general, might have like less interesting places to go to, but it allows more time and space for each individual place. Yeah, this is definitely not as detailed as, as the Wild Mount Guide, which is a blessing or a curse, depending on your kind of the kind of GM you are. Yeah. 
Um, I would, I, I, I dislike that you only map you get is a very big, clean-looking map, but it doesn't have any roads or anything, and you never get any other zoomed-in maps, it looks like, of particular regions or whatever, which I dislike, but, um, you know, it's definitely not as detailed as every single forest and, and river and road. Um, it's kind of going over these different regions or, like, each city. They all seem pretty different and cool and unique and definitely enough to run a whole campaign. Like, of course. Um, there's definitely enough here to run a whole campaign for sure, um, so don't worry about that. Um, and the art is gorgeous uh, all the way through. Yeah, and it does also... Uh, I guess that's something we can talk about at the end of the book. When you're talking about art and stuff and the map here, it does also give some example like battle maps for certain yes. places that you might run into which is i think a nice little touch um actually i really 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 like that <laughs> we may get into that because the, maybe they detail that in the, the next chapter but um i'm not sure but i did see that they have little like battle maps of like what a temple or an arena or whatever mm -hmm. and that's really cool because that's super versatile Compared to the maps that was included in the uh, Wild Mount Guide, which were just specific to those four adventures included in that book. Cool, obviously, because yeah. that's an adventure and that's specific to the adventure. That's dope. But I also like the 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 way that there's also just battle maps that can be used verse like in versatile ways all throughout any campaign in Theros. Yeah. That's really cool to me. I think it's a nice little resource for DMs to yeah. have built into the book that they bought, you know. Also, it details a little bit like the underworld and stuff as well um, in, in this gazetteer, um, which is really cool. Um, the underworld has like these massive chains connected to it. Um, and like there was a cycle of lands in the last uh, Thero set that like had all these big chains and it looks yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one cares, nerd. It's beautiful. The art is just so beautiful. Um, okay, that's the gazetteer. Yeah, so it goes through all these different locations. There's tons. There's, there's tons and they're all cool and they're all very... And, you know, it's very obviously inspired from Greco-Roman mythology. Mm. Um, There's, like, um, Troy and, you know, Rome and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I also like that it details, like, the sea, because there's also room in this world for you to have, like, pirate and, like, sea-based adventures. Yeah. Which I, th which I think is really cool. And I don't think enough worlds detail, like, the ocean around, and, like, the islands yeah. around the continent. I agree. Um, also, this sea is just very... It's just very Greek, you know what I mean? <laughs> Obviously, because it's like a collection of islands yeah. and stuff. So, it just fits really well in, like, their... The history of Greece and, you know, just their, like, warships and all their battles that they waged over sea and stuff. So, that is cool as well. I, I agree. Uh, that, that That's that's really dope. Duh. Yeah. Okay. I think that was the yeah that was the first three chapters there. A lot of talking, but um, you know, there you go. <laughs> what can we say? But what we said. Seriously, what can we say? But what we say. I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was our first part. Um. We ranted on for a lot, but that is normal for us. You must be normal, uh, used to it by now. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoyed it and got a sense of what Theros is. I really love this book. Freaking, 
going to get into more things about this book later when we do the second part of this whenever we get that done but enjoy this part yeah um this is really cool so far can't wait to see the other things that we're going to talk about uh, uh, next week the adventures and the treasures and the monsters and stuff because uh, Gabe, you said they were really cool, so I can't wait to, to look at those yes. um, with, with you listeners. There's some cool stuff there. Um, so look out for that next week, of course. Um, but so far, this is really cool. I've always wanted to play in, in a world like this, um, ever since I started playing D&D. Because once again, I love uh, Greco-Roman mythology and stuff like that. Um, just so cool. Yeah. So, Which I- is why you're going to love it DMing for me. Yeah. Even more. <laughs> uh, you know. Actually, though, I really think doing an actual play of this is, is a really good idea. Um, I like that we're doing little like actual plays of each, like when we look at like a campaign setting, or whatever. I think it's really cool to give people an idea of the new stuff in it, and and all that. Mm. So, if everything goes well, and if Unwelcome Spirits uh, goes well and and is, you know, cool and not too much work for us, we'd love to continue with little actual plays, um, uh, and and I'd love to do one for this. So. I, that's cool. I'm really excited uh, to look yeah, at the rest of this. Instead book. of like let's plays, yeah, we call them little plays. Little plays, <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, don't forget to uh, follow us on Instagram. Uh, we do all this kind of update stuff on there on our Discord, where mm-hmm. we do homebrew highlights every week at and stuff like that. D twenty underscore yes. Academy on Instagram <clears throat> and uh, YouTube. And hey, by the time you're listening to this episode, I may have a YouTube uh, video up. Um, there's a couple different ones I'm playing around with at the time of this recording, but I want to get one done and up on that channel soon. It's like going to be a shorter, sweeter, bite-sized kind of thing. By the time you listen to this, it may already be out, um, or I may have already talked about it on my Instagram or Discord that it is coming out. Um, but anyway, yeah, go check that out. Go find it us uh, find us on YouTube. Alrighty, until then.